And in the sense when, when someone writes something and they know it's important, they kind of underline the main things in the last chapter. This is like their last words, right? And I feel like that's what Paul is doing in this last chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He's kind of underlining the main themes of what he said throughout. And, and in a nutshell, what, what I took as I reflected on this, is that he's reminding them to focus on what is truly important and to fight the right battles. Mm-hmm. To fight the right battles. And I felt this strange um, kind of fire burning in me as I, as I reflected on that. Like a kind of jealousy in God for us to fight the right battles, to focus on the right wars. Because make no mistake, there is a war happening. And there's a war for each one of us, for our, for our souls, and the battle is not against flesh and blood, against power and principalities, but oh, how often we forget that and we fight against flesh, mm-hmm. our own and others, and against blood, against people, and a whole bunch of things that actually, that's not where the battle is. We fight the wrong war. And, and the Corinthians in particular, they were getting obsessed with Paul's credentials and whether he was actually an apostle, all these amazing, impressive, false teachers, you know? They seem so much larger and power, more powerful than Paul. And, and, and Paul is, is urging him to see what's really important and to fight the right battles and, um, and not to, uh, to, to arm themselves and spend all their time and attention on the wrong wars. And it reminded me, I was thinking, what, what's a picture of a wrong war? And I was reminded of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And I, I found this from a journalist reflecting on that whole period with America. He said, the immediate reason that Mr. Bush opened Pandora's box in the Middle East and invaded Iraq was his moral certitude that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction and that he was working in close partnership with Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. Those convictions turned out to be delusions. This denouement does great harm to Mr. Bush's credibility and indeed to the whole United States. It has got us into a ghastly mess in Iraq. It has diverted attention, resources, and military might from the war that should have been commanded against international terrorism. Meanwhile, Afghanistan has left a mess too. Mr. Bush chose the wrong war in the wrong place at the wrong time. I just thought that was just such a, such a sobering reminder of what's at stake. I'm not trying to create a political message here. I'm just saying it's very easy for each one of us to choose the wrong rule at the wrong place in the wrong time. And, and Paul is urging us to not do that, to not, the Corinthians and us, to fight the right battles. Uh, and here's some of the ways we can do that. That's what I'm going to try and do in this message. Just try and kind of like click our own lenses and priorities to go, okay, so what, what are the things I'm meant to be focusing on? Unlike the false teachers, Paul reiterates firstly that he is weak and that doesn't faze him or God. In fact, it allows God's power to shine through. He says this in verse 4. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. And if you've been following this message in the last few weeks, we've been speaking about the thorns, you know, that allow great, that are access points of God's glory and grace, and about how He said, when 
when I am weak, God is strong. I delight in my weakness. So he's underlining that again. I'm just going to read it again. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him to serve you. So just juxtapose that again to the false teachers who felt like they were in power because of their great power, not their weakness, because of their great giftedness and maybe their impressive outward appearance. And yet Paul says, actually delight in your weakness. Let God's grace and his power flow through you, not for your own glory, but to empower and serve others. In verse 10, he says it again, he says, we have authority, speaking about as an apostle and as a Christ follower, for, for building up, not tearing down. Wow. Just think about that in terms of your own life and the battles you're facing. Are you asking God for power for your own ends, just to get through this challenging time or to win some kind of victory in your life? Are, are, you, are you asking God for power in your weakness so that you can serve others and empower and build up others, even those that, like Paul is speaking to, might make your life very difficult, might, not, might actually misunderstand your intentions, like the Corinthians said. Paul still was willing to give his life to serve them and to build them up. We're going to come back to this, but I just, just want to emphasize, we can get so caught up in smallness, in our faults and our, and our weaknesses or our strengths, and all the while there is a huge battle at stake. There's so much more than just our own narrow navel gazing that we, that we tend to either do that keeps us preoccupied on ourselves or paralyzes us because we think, oh, who me? Who am I to do something for God? I've still got all these faults and weaknesses. And yet Paul is not calling for us to have unexamined lives. He's not saying, forget about all of that, just run in anyway, you know? Forget about everything uh, in your life that might not be aligned to the gospel. He's calling us to have examined lives. And he says this in verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. I'm going to read that again. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Wow. That's an unusual verse. And um, Michael Eaton, who's a wonderful theologian, uh, he says, of course, Paul isn't inferring salvation. It's not like you take some kind of like, matric examination to qualify for salvation. There is no test that can, that can save you or you can do to, 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 to qualify for salvation. We say it by grace and by God's grace and sacrifice on the cross alone, not through our good deeds or our bad deeds. So if he's not referring to that, uh, Michael Eaton says there's two things that we can deduce from this. The first is that Paul is saying, look at yourself and you can see the fruit of my ministry. You know, Jesus says, by their fruits, you will know them. These guys were, were questioning whether Paul really was an apostle and, uh, and a Christ um, exalting uh, leader. And should we just finish one? I, I think it's okay. 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 And for now. So basically, um, And you can 
where Paul and Jesus Christ implore us only to put ourselves there. Not as a means to greater self-righteousness or to condemnation, but as a means to access greater humility, unity with one another, and greater reliance and dependence on God. Because when we, when we honestly examine ourselves in the midst of a Holy Spirit who's here to convict us, not to condemn us, and to bathe all our faults and weaknesses in His grace, we're left humble, we're left far more loving towards one another and united, and we, and we know how much we need God's grace. Not just in a salvation moment, but every day of our lives. I wonder when the last time was that you took some time to honestly self-reflect, to examine yourself. Personally, I found this lockdown period of the last 18 months Longer than 18 months now, right? <laughs> um, like a, a, a really, a really beautiful time to do that. I, I felt like we'd be like kind of each one of us. Um, this is how I experienced it. Kind of ripped out of, out of just like being on like a kind of merry-go-round of a treadmill of busyness and community being like plugged into something where you can kind of do a whole bunch of stuff thoughtlessly and be focused on all the things that need to carry on going. And then all of a sudden, I found myself. A bit isolated, a bit on my own, a bit away from too much stuff happening, and I had I had a great time to actually just go, what do I actually believe, and 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 how am I actually living in line with that? And I feel like that was a gift. And maybe this time of rest that we're going into, hopefully all of us can have some time to self-reflect, some things to think about is. To recognize your own weaknesses. When was the last time, not just quickly on the go and you tried to either deny it or defend it or, 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 or not go there. When was the last time I Paul, you thought, oh, here's some thorns. I can, I can actually articulate the thorns in my life. Here's some weaknesses, some cracks in my jar. And instead of just stopping there, when was the last time you took those to God? You didn't try and hide them or just through grit and self-improvement books try and like get over them, but just take them to God, bear them to God. And when was the last time you asked for his power to flow through those wounds and those cracks to you and through you to build others up, not to tear them down and not to tear yourself down? Paul goes on in verse 7 and 8 and um, he says that he hopes that this kind of self-reflection will lead to greater levels of purity and alignment with the gospel in their lives. He says he's praying for that, but also that they would see that despite the fact that people and the world might see them as failures and that they, that they failed, that they would know that truth always wins and that it always is secure and solid and it stands the test of time. He says this in verse 8, For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Let me read that again. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And I love that because um, in every culture, not just the one we're in now, there's parts of our culture that, that, that are anti-truth and go completely against actually timeless gospel, God-ordained truth. And yet, 
They're coming against a brick wall. <laughs> this truth is not shaken by anti-truth, by falsehoods and lies. Given enough time, they're just going to prove themselves to be lies against the rock-hard uh, foundation that is truth. Given enough time, every falsehood and um, and thing that isn't actually founded on truth falls apart and gets dismantled. Wow. Isn't yeah. that wonderful? <laughs> just yeah, yeah. rest that if we actually believe in truth and truth is a person, the Logos, Jesus, and we're resting on him, everything else is going to, right now there might be people in the world that go, no, you're a, you're a failure for believing that. And that part of your, of your belief system is, is, has failed. Can't you see? Given enough time, it's just, it's a head-on collision with truth. Those kinds of principalities and false, falsehoods. For me, this speaks of, of a settledness and a security and a surety that we can have when we've reflected on ourselves and we've reflected on our lives aligning with the gospel. We don't have to be flighty or reactionary or tossed here and there by every wind of teaching and every new thing that the culture says we must do or be or believe. We can just be settled. And now we get to the very end of this letter and our own journey as a community through it. And Paul leaves them and us with the most beautiful benediction. It's one of the most famous ones. It starts off like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. What, I, what struck me as I read that was he's asking them to pursue love and peace. And he's saying, as you pursue that with others, God will pursue you with love and peace. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. That's a promise, friends, that you can take with you into this festive season. Pursue love with one another, with your families, as you go to awkward uncles and aunts <laughs> in different parts of this country, maybe, and around tables. Pursue love and unity and peace. And God's love and peace will pursue you. And under that, this peace that surpasses understanding. Because I know it's simple to say and to put in a card, but peace is something that's so profound and so elusive, right? Especially in, a, in an age that we live in where mental illness is like as big a pandemic as COVID, right? Anxiety, insomnia, depression. Um, peace is not something that's, that's easy to come by. And going into Christmas, and I was reminded of, of Mary, and, and, and I just wanted to read this. I wrote it a year ago on, on Christmas morning. <clears throat> In the lead up to this Christmas, as so many of our plans have not gone according to plan, as uncertainties rage and sorrows like sea billows roll, I've been thinking a lot about Mary. Not just about how very unplanned her pregnancy was to her, but how unprepared she must have felt in a town that wasn't hers, with a partner as wide-eyed and bewildered as she. I've been thinking about what she must have felt about God, the God who had asked so much of her, but now on this night seemed so absent. Surely the mother of God, of all people, should have been graced at least a room in an inn 
to birth her child, preferably with an ensuite, running warm water, fresh towels, and a kindly innkeeper's wife to act as standard midwife. Surely, if I was Mary, as I watched Joseph knock on all those doors and saw him turned away from everyone, I would have been the first to whisper, why have you forsaken me? As the contractions grew closer, as the sky grew darker, as the indoors remained shut, and with them a rising fear that we were truly all alone in the universe. But I would have been very mistaken. You see, those shut doors were all part of a bigger plan, leading like a divine maze to a stable on the outskirts of town, tucked away from view, and yet directly beneath a centuries in the making cosmic star spotlight that was about to converge right there. The Christmas star. Not shining down on a fancy inn, not on a palace far away, but right there on a humble stable where heaven was about to kiss earth and set in motion her ultimate restoration and the redemption of us all, past, present, and future. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to this newborn king. May the God who was christened Emmanuel be with you today. And like Mary, may you know that dramatic interruptions can lead to divine interventions. It's that kind of peace, benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
Amen. So your experience takes you right there. So I want to just land this meeting with that benediction. And uh, the last line of the benediction is uh, with you always, but I'm going to just say it with you until the 8th of January. The <laughs> <laughs> 9th of January, we can't get more grace enough to give it time. See how we go. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the love of God the Father, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you in the coming weeks, the end of the year, all the way up until the 8th of January. <laughs> Let's live in the beauty and the magnificence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.